Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, Frances Char on her debut novel, If I Had Your Face. Frances Char is a former travel and culture digital editor for CNN in Seoul. She grew up in the United States, Hong Kong and South Korea. A graduate of Dartmouth College and the Columbia University MFA writing programme, she has written for The Atlantic, The Believer, Yonhap News and other publications. She currently lives in Brooklyn and today we're going to be talking about her debut novel, If I Had Your Face. Frances, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you so much for having me. How would you describe the novel, first of all? It's set in contemporary Korea. It follows four young 20-something women who have not been born into wealth and status. They grew up in the provinces of Korea, and they're trying to survive in a very cutthroat society that is modern Seoul. And we follow four narrators. They're actually five characters, but four narrators. And each of them have their own trials and tribulations because of the... Uh, superlatives in that society, which I covered while I was an editor at CNN, and I always stored away these facts to explore with nuance and fiction if I could. So it was a thrill to be able to actually do that and bring it to publication. We'll talk about some of those superlatives, some of the actual themes of the story as we go through each of the each of the characters, but tell us just on a more general level what Seoul is like, the city. Seoul is an incredibly futuristic, it's a bustling, uh, very fast city, and no one waits for you. It's the only city where I think you move... I moved to New York after living in Seoul and Hong Kong, and I I felt that it was such a leisurely change of pace. (laughs) And I love all the space and the air, and things are so much cheaper, including real estate. And everyone thinks I'm absolutely mad when I say that about New York. And things just sweep the nation in terms of trends. And there is a website called Naver, which is kind of the Google of Korea. But unlike Google, Naver is constantly flashing with keywords. And you know that as a nation, everyone is looking at those keywords and whatever is trending, and they know and are discussing the same topics that day by the hour. And it's a very uh, fast-paced society, which leads to a lot of the themes in my book. And the the narrators live in the same apartment block which is in actually quite a quite a decent part of the city for people from their background but um three of them i think yeah three of them live on 
the fourth floor of this apartment block is is mentioned in one of the in one of the strands of the story and and that has meaning in Korea. <laughs> I was just staying at a hotel room where they put me in room 444 and if they had had any idea of an Asian visitor they wouldn't have put me in there. It's I think the equivalent would be 666 or 999 so one of those things in western culture. But the Chinese word for fours is sounds the same as the word for death, and that carries over into Korean because we take our our language, uh, the characters from Chinese, and so it's considered very bad luck. So the, in the same way that American hotels and American apartment buildings skip over the floor thirteen and go straight from twelve to fourteen, Koreans tend to skip over three to five. So we'll we'll go through the four narrators um, in turn and as we do we'll, we'll sort of look at one of the sort of themes that's relevant to each or to all of them but to each character in turn as well and we'll start with Ara who's a hairdresser and when we meet her she's mute she uses a little notebook to describe her she wasn't always mute and we won't talk about necessarily why that happened but why you chose to make her mute the hairdresser in Korean society, I think, really takes the place of the therapist. And because mental health is an issue that is not discussed in Korean society, and actually it is a fact that at one point, if you told your insurance company that you have mental health issues, they would drop you, and which is something that I mentioned in the book. But people do go to their hairdressers a lot and they spend hours with them and, and they talk their hearts out. And it's certainly true that for me personally, my stylist was my therapist for a very long time. I love seeing her. My mom's stylist, she packs lunch for him and is trying to set him up all the time. And so the fact that the hairdresser is such a good listener in Korean society in general and I feel like they do have such potent stories of their own. And I wanted to explore what it would like, be like if they were actually mute. And that's why she's an even better listener than most. And she has all these, she has a lot of internal uh, dreams and an, a very vibrant internal life that has to do with her K-pop obsession. <laughs> and again, that was something that I took from real life, my own real life, and um, fictionalized through her. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to talk about Ara's um, obsession with a boy band crown, and particularly <laughs> one of one of the characters. The writer Fatima Mabuto was on the show a, a, a few weeks ago. We talked about she she'd written a book where. K-pop was one of the subjects of the book, and, and so we, we we spoke something of the the sort of rather extreme. First of all, the the, the rather extreme life of the K-pop idols, the performers, the sort of regime they go through to train to be these stars, and and the sort of restricted life they lead. But because this is a a, a story from Ara's perspective, let's talk perhaps about the um, the fandom, because there's a problem occurs in this story for Ara and for thousands of other fans of this band in that the. the Boy band member gets a girlfriend. <laughs> yes, so there's a, a very notorious publication called Dispatch in Korea, and they dedicate their journalists to shadowing every K-pop star and every actor and actress in the hopes of getting them photographs of them holding hands with another celebrity. And they do all the time because they literally apparently 
wait around in trees and pull all-nighters, and they have something. They have dirt on every celebrity, and they choose certain moments to release them. and And the story goes that they also negotiate with these agencies about just how scandalous of the nature of the photo that they choose to release. The agencies can negotiate. You know, we'll give you some dirt if. You back down and don't release the ones of you going into a hotel, just the ones holding hands in a parking garage or something like that. And that has real ramifications for their life because K-pop fandom is based on having this imaginary boyfriend or girlfriend, or trying to really vividly have them be the surrogate significant other, which is very different from American or Western fandom, where. I feel like if you are a celebrity couple, that actually enhances your desirability for some reason or popularity. And I still actually don't quite understand why that's so, because I feel like that dispels the myth that they, you know, are are in your daydreams or whatever. The other thing I wanted to mention is Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. He does often mention that K-pop fans have the most engagement on Twitter more than any other group. And for example, BTS, which is a very popular group now, they have more likes and retweets than Donald Trump and Justin Bieber combined, which is a ridiculous statistic. <laughs> and he likes to bring that up in interviews. Moving on to、uh, Kiori, the the second of the the four narrators of the book, she works as a room salon girl. What's a room salon? So room salons are. These underground, very exclusive hostess bars, and the one that I have set my book in is called a ten percent because they're called that way because they are supposed to have the most beautiful girls in the industry, and men pay thousands of dollars a night to be entertained by very beautiful women who sit down and pour them drinks and entertain them essentially, but. The more expensive the room salon is, you know, sex is off the table. It's very above board, but yeah, there are all kinds, all different kinds along the scale. And how does I mean, what status does a woman that works in a room salon have in Korean society in terms of because they, I mean, they are fundamentally sex workers, and you do talk about you know, Kaori is sleeping with some of her clients and. And I presume there is street prostitution in Seoul, as there is in any other city. Certainly, these room salon women would see themselves as doing a different job. But but how are they seen by the rest of society? It's a it's definitely taboo, and no one would admit in any open society that they are working in a room salon. It's considered very. Shocking and taboo and shameful, but there is this sense in Korean society that a lot of these girls are doing it for easy money, and it's a choice that they make, and therefore they are not victims of the industry. They just choose to do it. And that, the more research I did along. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary; not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Or into the industry, I've discovered that that's really not true. That's a misconception and it's a very complicated side of Korean society that I do hope will go away. <laughs> and that is something that I do explore. Well, I mean, it's not an easy thing to do as well in terms of, I mean, you mentioned she works in a 10% bar, which obviously has a, you know, a high bar of entry in the first place. But to get that far, Kyori has, has undergone some rather extensive and painful plastic surgery. And the other, the fifth character that, that you mentioned that's not one of the narrators, Su Jin, we also see her go through this process in the book. Tell us something about the preponderance of plastic surgery in South Korean society. So it's an often cited fact that South Korea has the highest rate of plastic surgery per capita in the world. And it's very true. It's something that I've covered for CNN. And in writing this book, I did a lot of research of going to the plastic surgery clinics and getting assessed myself and trying to record that detail of you know how much things cost and how the consultations go and what the plastic surgeons say specifically what the downtime after the surgery is like. And the thing that I wanted to explore in this book is it's not the choices that women make to undergo plastic surgery is not something to be met with a snap judgment of, oh, that's so vain or that's really frivolous because for these women for whom social mobility is impossible because they haven't been born into wealth and status, beauty is a very real currency that they can adopt to make their lives better. And the example that I always bring up is in Western society, everyone undergo you know, they often undergo braces and that helps your love life. It helps you get a job in in very understated ways certainly no one would actually come out and say oh that getting braces helped me whatever but it is still true that that does help you and that example i think kind of hits home for them when i explain it that way and for example in korea when for a long time you had to submit a photograph along with your resume so you know clearly that was <laughs> impacting the selection on some level and um, that's why Cutie first goes into it and then she gets addicted because I think her level of beauty correlates to her financial um, and like stability in general of life. 
character Miho she's she's an artist and and through her story we get some insight into the lives of of soul super rich but in in terms of in terms of her story I also wanted to talk about she's the roommate of Kiori but she's an old friend of of Sujin's because they both grew up in a place called the Lauren Centre which was I guess an orphanage tell us something about what that would have been like the Loring Center is based on an orphanage that I used to volunteer at when I was going to school in the provinces of Korea. And Korea used, there was a very high rate of international adoption from Korea because Koreans have this thing about bloodlines. And so domestic adoption levels were very low. And there were very high rates of international adoption, which halted dramatically in 1988 because of international coverage of the phenomenon right before the Seoul Olympics. And South Korea was very humiliated because they wanted to showcase Seoul as this beautiful jewel. And instead, they're getting all this other coverage about how they're basically selling their children abroad. Not selling, but they're still abandoning their children. And so they completely halted adoption, but it's a very real fact that there are these orphanages, usually in the provinces, and they have very little support after they reach adulthood, and the government kind of sends them off (laughs) into the world, and they have to survive on their own, and they have to rely on their personal networks of friends through the orphanage to survive, and this is what their relationship is based on. Um, and then the last of, of the quartet, Wana, she's ostensibly an orphan because she was, you know, a, sort of abandoned for, for work reasons by her parents and raised by a, a, an extremely troubled grandmother. And, you know, we see through her story marriage in South Korea. And, and I wanted to talk particularly here about very specifically the relationship between mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws. Um, to which, again, there's the various things that we've talked about in this interview already. We can see that, you know, Korea has, in a lot of ways, an incredibly sort of sci-fi city, but also a rather sort of traditional, in a lot of ways, misogynist society. But there is also this sort of underlying sort of matriarchal power as well that's often held by the women in the families. And, and one is very sort of like keen to to escape that, isn't she? <laughs> yes. So... When I was was setting out on my dating life, I had a list of criteria, which <laughs> was ridiculous now that I think about it. But one of the things on the list was I will never date a first son because mothers-in-law tend to be absolutely crazy about the first son in particular. And the relationships with their daughters-in-law tend to be very strained. And this is not only in Korean culture. I think it's also in other Asian cultures. And a lot of that tension comes from mothers-in-law having been daughters-in-law themselves in a time where they bore so much of the physical labor that is involved in running a house. So, you know, you have to do just things that are unfathomable now, especially with the rights that you perform for 
the they're called death days, I guess. Days to commemorate birthdays and death days of ancestors. You set a huge table brimming with food and fruits and meats, and you're supposed to prepare them all and do that several times a year. Sometimes in really intense households, like every day, even back in the day. And having done the brunt of the work themselves, they have all this pent up resentment. At having done that, an expectation for their daughters-in-law to also be just as you know, it's more of an expectation like, oh, I did this, and you're not even doing that. You know, how dare you? And <laughs> they have a lot of uh, resentment, and <laughs> yeah, it's it's very complicated relationship, and it o- often turns very sour, and it's a big tragedy in Korean relationships. Just one more question then and and on career in general obviously a lot of the things that we're talking about here be that pop music be that plastic surgery the family reality tv shows makeover shows that all come up in the book um there's you know class distinctions are all things that are familiar for every sort of western you know late capitalist society why is it all so extreme in career because everything seems to be at such a much more you know a much more frenetic pitch than we would expect and and I wonder what that's like to comment because obviously you spent a lot of your career commenting on on career from the perspective of the US as well. Yes, I think it's because every the population is condensed into such a small like acreage and because of that you have to constantly any little things makes you stand out and everyone is assessed immediately upon perception and that leads to a lot of competition and the other thing is korea is the world's most educated country according to the world economic forum and the reason for that is there's really very few chances for success again if you're not born into wealth and status you can achieve success through academic success and because of that households go into debt to educate their children privately after public school hours and private tutoring is a huge industry in Korea and because of those pressures it leads to students becoming very depressed if they fail and that leads to the highest rate of suicide in developed countries but also you know highest levels of internet addiction because they turn to that as a means of stress relief and the lowest birth rate in the world developed world because you know people like wanna my character they don't they feel such um anxiety about how they're going to raise their children and educate them when you know that when you have a child you want to give them the best and you want them to have the world and you know that they can't so a lot of them are choosing not to have children at all and i think that emphasis on education it feeds a lot of it so I've been talking to Frances Char. We've been talking about her debut novel, If I Had Your Face, which is out now in the UK from Viking. Frances, thank you so much for coming in and sharing it with us. It's so wonderful to be here and thank you for having me. This episode of Little Atoms was produced and presented by me, Neil Denny, edited by Sky Redman and was first broadcast on Resonance 104.4 FM. Little Atoms is supported by 89up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. Thanks for listening.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 